Let's pray. Oh God, since mine eyes have looked on Jesus, I've lost sight of all beside. So enchained my spirit's vision, gazing on the crucified. Please, dear Father, let the crucified face of our Lord Jesus hold our gaze. We pray in His name. Amen. When you stand at the site of someone's death, it is a most sobering experience. It was my first morning in England just a few weeks ago. I woke up early thanks to jet lag and headed out into the pre-sunrise frigid English air for my run. About a half mile from where we were staying, I ran past a pub. And as I ran, I noticed in the pre-sunrise light a very big sign hanging on a light post in that tiny parking lot. I stopped to read the sign. Couldn't miss it. Fatal collision here Sunday, 10.38 p.m. If you have information, call the police at, and then a phone number was listed. I quickly did the arithmetic. Wait a minute. Four nights ago, on this spot I am running past. Somebody died. Where I'm standing, somebody's hopes, somebody's dreams, somebody's loves came instantly to an end. 10.38 at night. I tell you what, when you stand on the site of someone's death, it is a most sobering experience. I mean, come on, you know what it's like. Doesn't it happen to you too when, when you drive by and you see the flowers and you see the balloons and you see the cross at the side of the road? Only there were no flowers and balloons at the side of the road when he died, just a cross. And a very large sign writ in blood. Fatal collision here, Friday, 3.03 p.m. For more information, call. Call whom? Call the God who died by the side of that road that terrible first Good Friday. And how did He die? I want you to read His death-rattled cry just before His expiration. Open your Bible with me, please, to the Gospel of St. Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 27. I'll be in the New International Version. Matthew chapter 27. We'll pick it up in verse 33. If you're watching on television, it'll be on the screen. Matthew 27, verse 33. And they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, He refused to drink it. When they had crucified Him, they divided up His clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over Him there. Above His head, 
They place the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, Ha! You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come on down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. Ha! He saved others, but he can't save himself, they said. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants to. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Verse 45, and from the sixth hour, that would be noon, until the ninth hour, three o'clock, darkness came over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When you stand at the side of someone's death, it is a most sobering experience, particularly when you learn how he died. About a week later, I learned the details of that tragic death beside the pub. A 21-year-old young man named John Strange was walking with his mother late in the evening. He crossed the street for something or other and then was coming back to her when a car screeched out of the black night and struck him, killing him instantly just a block from their home. And that evening stroll with his mum came forever to an end. In the cry of dereliction from the center cross, another son was being cut off forever. Now look, ladies and gentlemen, it is very, very, very difficult for us to fathom the anguished depths that are in that strangulating cry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Richard John Newhouse writes, something has been lost Something has been withdrawn and it cannot be called back. Matthew Arnold seemed to capture that sense of lostness in his poem, Dover Beach. You'll have that poem on your study guide in your bulletin. Here's how it goes. The sea of faith was once too at the full and round earth's shore lay like the folds of a bright girdle furled. But now I only hear its melancholy, long, withdrawing roar, retreating to the breath of the night wind down the vast edges drear and naked shingles of the world. Its melancholy, long, withdrawing roar. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How can minds so finite as yours and mine possibly fathom the unfathomable depths of that piercing scream. By the way, the Greek reads, he cried out with a megalephone. From whence comes our word megaphone. This is not a whimper, nor is it a moan. It is a scream. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? 
about that question why G. Campbell Morgan has written in his book, The Crises of the Christ. If man imagines that he has now fathomed or understood the cross, he is reminded by the very fact that this cry is a question that something, perchance the mightiest and most marvelous of all the facts, eludes him and defies his every attempt at final analysis. Christ, in the midst of the experience, asks the question why. It is never recorded that he asked such a question before, and never again is there record of so strange a fact. End quote. God, my God, why? What is this? The cry of human suffering? Is that it? I have stood beside heartbroken parents who have wept over that tiny little casket and moaned, why, why, why? And by the way, the casket isn't always tiny, but the question is always the same. I have stood bedside Beside the morphine-dripping sufferer who in agony groans, Why? Why? Is that what we have? Jesus sobbed the cry of human suffering. Is it the coagulating cry of human pain? I tell you what, you, you watch Mel Gibson's production, The Passion, And one could suppose that it is the pain, the pain, the pain that the cross is primarily about. Oh, how he suffered for you and me. In in an audience of pastors, when I saw it, I sat beside one pastor who cried all the way through the movie. Oh, how he suffered for you, how he suffered for me. But ladies and gentlemen, we must be very cautious. We must be very careful about reducing the cross of our Lord to the ultimate manifestation of human pain. For surely martyrs have died more grisly and pain-racking deaths than Christ did. Cancer patients have suffered interminably, not for just six hours, but for six long weeks. It can't be about pain. In the classic on the Passion of the Christ. It's a book called The Desire of Ages. And by the way, a portion of that book will be given to every visitor to the Passion Play this afternoon and tomorrow as a gift from Pioneer. A portion of that book. Let me read a sentence that soberly reminds us that the cross is in fact not primarily about human pain. You also have this in your study guide. May I read it to you? All his life, Christ had been publishing to a fallen world the good news of the Father's mercy and pardoning love. Salvation for the chief of sinners was his theme. But now, with a terrible weight of guilt he bears, he cannot see the Father's reconciling face, the withdrawal of the divine countenance from the Savior in this hour of supreme anguish pierced his heart with a sorrow that can never be fully understood by man or woman. So great was this agony that his physical pain was hardly felt. Did you catch that? So great was this agony that his physical pain was hardly felt. My God! My God, why? Then if it's not about pain, what is it? What is this? I'll tell you what. Mark it down, ladies and gentlemen. It is not about human pain. It is about the divine price. It is about the divine price. You say, the price for what? The price for God to save sinners 
as filthy as you and me. That's what it's about. Calvary is the price God paid to buy back a lost race. How much did it cost Him? Never forget this. We cost Jesus His life forever. Hanging in that funereal darkness, Jesus believed that He was going to die forever as a sacrifice for our sins. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there is no voice, no voice to answer Him from out of that awful hell. Just silence. As G. Campbell Morgan has noted, there is no agony for the human soul like that of silence. And therein, by the way, lies the difference between the martyrs and and the Christ. They died certain that they would see their Lord again. Jesus died certain He would never live again. Listen to Desire of Ages again. Jesus believes that His sacrifice for my sins means He will be cut off from God forever and ever. Amen. Look at these words on the screen. Satan with his fierce temptations wrung the heart of Jesus. The Savior could not see through the portals of the tomb. Hope did not present to Him His coming forth from the grave a conqueror or tell Him of the Father's acceptance of the sacrifice. He feared that sin was so offensive to God that their separation was to be eternal. It was not the spear thrust. It was not the pain of the cross that caused the death of Jesus. That cry uttered with a loud voice at the moment of death. The stream of blood and water that flowed from His side declared that He died of a broken heart. His heart was broken by mental anguish. He was slain by the sin of the world. End quote. He thought that their separation was going to be eternal, and so he dies of a broken heart. I don't understand it. Willing to be cut off forever, so that I, so that you, might be saved forever. Can you get your mind around that kind of love? Huh? Can you? He died forever. You say, oh, come on, Dwight, he didn't die forever. I mean, he rose from the tomb. This is Easter. Hallelujah, he lives. My friend, you're absolutely right, but he rose only after dying forever. I end with a children's story that tells this Easter truth. It's about a boy who was terribly sick. So sick, in fact, that the doctor said he was going to die if they couldn't find someone with his rare type of blood. They tested the entire family and discovered that only his little sister had that rare but perfect match. And so the doctors and her parents explained the nature of the emergency and asked the little girl if she would be willing to give some of her blood for her very sick brother. She didn't answer right away. Her child's mind seemed lost in ponderous thought. And finally, she faced them again and she nodded her curls. She would give her blood to her brother. And so it was that they wheeled her into that hospital room where the medical technologist soon had the needle inserted into her vein and the little plastic bag began to fill with her life-saving blood. 
The minutes ticked slowly by, and eventually the procedure ended. As they led the little girl back out of the room, with quivering lip and tear-brimmed eyes, she looked up at Papa and she said, Daddy, when will I die now? It took only a split second for Father. And then like a bolt of lightning it hit him. His little girl had just gone through the entire ordeal of donating her blood, believing that when it was all over, she would die. Ladies and gentlemen, I ask you a simple question. Did that little girl die for her brother? Oh, yes, she did. Oh, yes, she did. She died for her brother right up here. Did Jesus die forever for your sins and my sins? Oh, yes, He did. He died forever for our sins right in here. And it broke His heart. He was willing to die forever so that we might live forever. I do not understand that. Which is why we have come this Easter weekend to celebrate His death and His resurrection. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. O God, O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in Thee. I give Thee back the life I owe. That in Thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. O God, what can we say? Nothing but thank you, thank you, thank you for the rest of our lives. Amen.